Hello. Hi, Mom. Hi. On this show, my guest is Craig O'Neill, CEO of VersaPay. I sent you the tape of our interview. What would you say people are going to get out of it? Uh, one is, according to him, his business improved and he was much happier when he developed a narrative that worked for them. Mm-hmm. Also, his upper staff, uh, he got them all to be on the same page and agree with the narrative. Yeah, I think that all sounds good. If they think of anything later, I'll call you. Dad's just coming back. He was in the city today for a course, something about cyber or something or other, and he doesn't have a laptop, so he's bringing his desktop in the original cardboard box. It's so heavy. It probably would have worked just as well with one of those little drives that you plug in, right? And then you download it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He wanted it on his own computer. I'm Andy Raskin, and this is The Bigger Narrative. In each episode, I talk with leaders about their strategic story, a story that's larger than their companies and their products, a story about change in their customer's world, a story that's powering success not only in sales, marketing, and fundraising, but also product development, recruiting, everything. And I am so happy that my guest for this episode is Craig O'Neill, CEO of VersaPay. What leads the CEO of a company that sells billing tools, what people call accounts receivable software, or AR for short, to say, we need a narrative? From VersaPay's headquarters in Toronto, Craig told me it started when he had what he calls a CEO's worst nightmare after listening in on his team's sales calls. What I realized was the way they were describing what we did and why it was a good thing sounded like everybody else in our space. Like there was really no differentiation, which was ironic because we're different. We've got something that's unique and better. And uh, and I, it also was kind of a wake-up call for me because I thought I had done that. I thought I had explained to everybody why we were different, and somehow it hadn't stuck. And so then I started to think, I, I need some help to to do this in a way that's going to stick, to make it impactful, and to get alignment with everybody. The standard way of telling people how we're different is basically, hey, Let me tell you the reasons we're better. Yeah. That's what I call descriptive positioning. It's like, we're just going to describe it and you have a problem. We have a solution. Let me tell you why our solution's better. Working with your team, we came around to this other thing, which is what I call narrative positioning. What's this larger shift that's happening in the world, this old game to new game? What do you think was challenging about making that shift? For me, it was very natural. I think I, I learned a long time ago that customers generally, when they're listening, they kind of assume every vendor is going to tell them why they're different. Um, but they all actually say the same things in, in the same way, like you said, kind of descriptive positioning. And a lot of it's actually quite generic. You know, we care more about our customers. We provide better customer service. And they just write all of that off. So, yeah, they're, they're all the same. And we're just going to go find the one with the best price. So what I realized working with you was turning it into a narrative, a story that kind of brought the message to life in a way that they could sort of visualize or empathize with or connect with a bit emotionally would get the message through in a way that uh, would cause them to be thinking, well, this is different. This is unique, and I haven't heard this before. I should, uh, perhaps, I should actually do something about this, or at the very least, I want to learn more about this and go deeper. So kind of telling how we're different in a different way so that the message actually got across. What is that story for VersaPay, that bigger story that you're telling? We, we really said, listen, there's this 
change that's occurred in the world. We call it customer-centric AR. Customers really are much more demanding and care about how they're billed and, and how they can pay. In fact, that's that's so important to them that they will even choose to work with another vendor if you don't get it right for them. And so we kind of open up by saying we're now in this new era of customer-centric AR, which is a bit provocative because the listener doesn't know exactly what that is at first, but then we elaborate on what it is and, and why it has come to be. Before we talk about what we do, we, we get that point across first. The, the new game is this customer-centric AR where you have to build this AR experience around what the customer wants, whereas the old game was, hey, here are our terms for, I guess, everyone except like a huge customer like Walmart, <laughs> which would get to dictate exactly. their terms. Now, kind of everyone wants to dictate their terms. Exactly. We know from talking to many, many suppliers, the ones that have those big customers that were demanding, saying, we want the process to work like this, that's kind of a nightmare scenario for them because it can be hard to make one customer happy. Mm. So the idea of now it's not just the big customers like Walmart that are going to start to demand tailored experiences, but it's all your customers, your midsize and your small customers. How do I do that and be efficient and not have to spend a lot of money and not you know, create a lot of confusion within our company? So it creates a, a quite a bit of tension saying that, that now every every one of your customers is going to become or already is that demanding. You know, there's a lot of benefits that VersaPay offers. And the messaging had been, let me tell you about all these benefits, getting invoices paid faster, being able to see everything, all this kind of stuff. And it sounds like the, that new game, customer-centric AR, which I believe is the term you coined, was like a kind of entryway so that they would kind of understand why all these things matter. For sure. And it did another thing that I thought it would, but it really has. It, finance groups can be pretty insular. They're kind of a back office operation. They're focused on the back office and how do they streamline things and reduce labor and make things run more smoothly. You know, as a side effect, it's, it's kind of said, you need to look out and think about the actual customer. That really opens up a whole new dimension of thinking for the accountant, whether it's you know, CFO typically is thinking more broadly about the whole company, but underneath the CFO, it can be quite insular. So get some thinking outside and thinking about the customer, which has been a really healthy thing. We crafted this slide that I, I often do with teams. Hey, this changes the game for everybody. And we talk about the way it's changed for the various different personas. And it sounds like right. this, this accountant or person kind of below the CFO in finance it changes their job from this processor to making them much more valuable to the business and, and the growth. Absolutely. And, you know, we ended up, as you and I wrestled with it, we coined the phrase, make your customers happy to pay you, which is maybe a bit of a stretch. There's not that many customers that just love to pay out money, but it kind of gets the point across that, hey, by doing these things as a business, you're going to have happier customers. And that's good for your business. It's good for your salespeople, and you're a big part of that. And even better if by doing that, you can make the world inside of finance more streamlined and more automated. It's, it's good all around. That's great. I, I think it was you who came up with the, the exact phrasing of that. We toyed around with a couple of different ones that were kind of close. But actually, yeah. I do think when I get something from a company that I really love and the payment is really easy, I kind of do love paying them. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's a bit of a pleasure to say, hey, that was easy. This, this is a company that's easy to do business with. I appreciate that. And conversely, I think all of us, and we, we call this kind of the Amazon effect, we all have less and less tolerance for companies that are hard to do business with. 
when I tell the story, I sort of play both sides of that. I love it when I say something like that and, and the audience is sort of nodding like, yeah, I have no patience for companies that are hard to do business with. And we've been seeing this play out again and again from prospective customers to prospective investors and buyers. We've just announced a big transaction with a, a private equity company that's buying VersaPay and telling the story resonated with them as well. Congratulations, by it, the way. Yeah, and so that was very helpful in terms of really explaining what it is that we do and, and, and why we're different. It sounds like the story has played a role in sales, in f- selling the company or fundraising. Yep. And any other ways that the story plays a role for you as a leader? Yeah, it's it's really kind of a rallying point for our, our whole strategy. Despite the fact that I'm the CEO, I'm also... I guess I could say I'm a quasi-founder because when I joined, I joined to pivot the company six years ago into this new line of business. I've kind of founded this line of business. And like a lot of founders, I'm also kind of the product owner. So I meet with the product team regularly to set vision and strategy and help them set the direction for the roadmap. Hmm. And I had one of those meetings this morning, spent about an hour with kind of our core product, people, product managers, and so on. And started, as I have been doing since we worked together, Andy, started with the customer-centric AR message. And I had a summary of all the ways that we are, that we help our clients be very customer-centric, and then talked about the things that I'd like us to do better in terms of adding configurations, options that the customer can sort of self-tailor the, the service and just providing more and more optionality that suppliers, our clients can offer to their customers. So like the product strategy is kind of rooted in that same in that same message. So it impacts the product, it impacts the things you talked about in terms of how we go to market and, and investing. It kind of um, really gives us the, the glide path or the guardrails or the sort of direction for all the different parts of what we do and how I communicate them now because I really do uh, sort of anchor everything in, in that phrase, customer-centric AR, and then I'll kind of launch off in different directions depending on who I'm talking to. But it, it's kind of impacted everything. Wow, that is so cool to hear. I, especially the the part about the the product, and I, and I, I've been hearing this from a lot of CEOs that the the, the story becomes a kind of north star for guiding the product, for prioritizing the backlog of things that yep. we're going to build. I'm so glad we talked because I didn't know that that was having that kind of impact. So that, that's just really cool to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything you would recommend? to a team that's setting out to do this? You know, where we had some areas where, as you warned us, we had to sort of struggle through and figure some things out. I think what surprised me now in retrospect is after that process was done, um, I had to stay on it and Mm. um, really make it part of my dialogue, you know, at town hall meetings and meetings like the product meeting I just talked about in lots of our sales meetings. I asked the sales team to start where three or four sales reps, they're told in advance, but they're put on the spot a number of us will sit in a room and we kind of go through a mock sales call where they need to practice the narrative and make sure that they're learning from each other. Because what I found in the next six to eight weeks is the go-to-market team was, was paying somewhat superficial mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, attention to it. They were saying some of the words, but it was almost like they didn't really understand the full implication of it. So mm-hmm. repetition and reinforcing and, and pushing through that was, was really crucial. Um, and I think there's still pockets of the company that were ironing out those wrinkles that haven't yeah. fully got it yet, but it's happening. You know, it's not really hard, but it takes some continued focus um, for a while afterwards until really it becomes 
the DNA of the company. So it sounds like what you're saying is whether you build that with me or however you wind up building it, don't expect you to find it on paper and then done. That's maybe the starting point. And you as the leader are going to have to uh, keep telling this story and making sure everybody realizes like, hey, this is the story. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, you know, not just a story that we tell folks in, outside of our four walls, but it mm-hmm. is our story. This is who we are and what we do and why we do it this way. So, you know, embrace it, be thinking this way. I said to the to the product team this morning, I've said it before, but I said it to them again, you know, as you think about new features and as you think about priorities, put this first, put this idea, keep it front and center of your mind because, you know, we're not just paying lip services. We're not just saying this to, to customers. This is the truth of who we are and why we're different. And we want to, you know, accentuate and emphasize and, and, and grow that uniqueness and difference over time, not, not lose it. I love that. I think what you're saying is we're not different because of some features we offer, even though they may, those may be different and superior. We're different because we believe in a new way for our customers to win that we're delivering on. Yeah, exactly. Of all the great points Craig made, I love the one about how crafting the narrative about the new game, what he calls customer-centric AR, was just the first step and how he has to tell it over and over to make it stick. I, I mean, is there anything more important for a CEO to do than that? The Bigger Narrative is produced and edited by me, Andy Raskin, with music by Stephen Emerson and podcast cover art by Angela Mate Chen. Carla Borelli inspired the show by suggesting I do it over coffee. Thanks to Craig O'Neill and the entire team at VersaPay. Special thanks also to Judy Raskin, Michelle Miller, Victoria Zenoff, Laura Hemicky, Marcus Andrews, David Cancel, Mike Kajewski, and Carol Wasserman. And remember, the company story is the company strategy. I was going to carry it, you know, in the in the box that it came in, mm-hmm. but I put it in a uh, you know a, a wheelie valise, you know. A, a, Do you know what a valise is, Andrew? Uh, yeah, it's a suitcase, right? Yeah, a suitcase. All right, so that's oh, what I did. It's an old word. I bet a lot of young people don't. Even yeah, know well, that's what I did, and it was it was it worked fine. Although I was the only one with that kind of computer there.